it's good to see all of you. How are you? Everybody's good? Yeah? You excited for more rain this weekend? Some of you are going to say yes. I just know it. Yeah. Look at that. I'm not. <laughs> I know we need it, but I grew up a Seattle girl, and I'm just not. <laughs> so I have an Israel story to start with. It was his birthday last week. He turned five. can't believe he's five. And I said, Israel, you're getting so big. And he said, Nana, no, I don't want to be a people. I want to be a kid. Well, thankfully, that'll work out for him for a few more years. <laughs> doesn't want to be a people. Why don't we pray before we get started? Lord Jesus, as we open the word this morning, we ask God for you to penetrate our hearts. We invite your Holy Spirit to um, help us to meditate on the words that you've put before us, make them real to us, make us vulnerable to hear you, and make every day after this count for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I love how this, uh, the title of this message is called um, Learning the Joy of being a, a servant, because I'm not sure that joy and being a servant are often linked. It's probably not the first thing you think of when you think of being a servant is living joyfully as a servant. Most people don't. But it is what God intended. And in this passage in Philippians 2, we're going to encounter three men who are serving Christ with joy, even though all three of them are pressed on every side, Paul's in prison, and Epaphroditus nearly died bringing support to Paul from the Philippian church while he's in prison, and Timothy, while Paul's in prison, serves him while he's there, but he also is the one that Paul sends out to the other churches to get information back or to take information to the churches, and so you're, you're meeting three men who, who are really pressed with trials, and yet, as we read, you can see, you can feel the urgency of their need to serve the people in Philippians. Um, and I think as we're studying Philippians, I think, and you've heard it before, but I think you're learning that joy is not what we often equate the words we equate with joy are not the ones that really describe what it really is. So laughter and happiness and things like that. That's not joy. Although the, the English language is so limited, when I went to Norway to, to visit family, there's a, a dish that they have. It's kind of, a, kind of a porridge, but it's a little bit sweet, and it's called rumagrit, and I really like it. And so in my new... Um, learning of the Norwegian language, I, they served that at one of the homes I was at, and I said, Yaelska rumagrit. I love rumagrit. And, well, in Norway, because they have so many other words, you don't love stuff. <laughs> you certainly don't love food. You love people. You love your children. You love, you know. Love is set, a, it's set aside, it's set apart. And so they're laughing, and I had no idea why they were laughing at me. 
And then they're explaining, well, you don't love food. <laughs> well, yeah, I might, <laughs> actually. <laughs> In my American culture, yeah, I think I do. <laughs> so uh, let's read Philippians 2, 19 through 30. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that also I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore... I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. And, and when I was studying this, I, I read that last line, and I thought, wow, Paul, you know, point out their deficiency. <laughs> but when I, when I talked to the silver-haired fox, who's my Bible teacher, my husband, I said, what is this whole, like, def you know, pointing out their deficiency? He said, no, 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 no. Epaphroditus was bringing support that they had put together, money, because Paul's in prison. And they weren't, of course, able to go on the trip. They sent Epaphroditus. Well, why didn't he just say that? Anyway, so I found <laughs> three points in this scripture that I'd like to, to kind of break apart for us that, talk, that help us to learn the joy of being a servant. And the first one is partner deeply with like-minded people, kindred spirits. You know, we throw terms around like BFF and, um, and kindred spirit. We throw that around a lot, but I don't think we really understand how important a term like that really is. I know very few people who have a friend you could call, I know Gia does, a lifelong kindred spirit who is in the mission with you, views the, the service that you're about to do it in the same way, and God has knit your hearts together. And it's not that we can't have best friends, we should, but I just, I just want to point out the, the language that we use, like the love word when I was describing Romagret, words have meaning, and they have deeper meaning than we usually ascribe to them. So someone who's a kindred spirit, when I look at what... Um, Paul and Timothy's relationship was Paul met Timothy on his second missionary trip and from the moment they met God knit their hearts together it was a David and Jonathan thing they were kindred spirits and in Paul Paul saw in Timothy 
someone who would see the mission the way he saw it, who would follow Jesus the way he followed Jesus, someone he could train, someone he could um, mentor, someone who would view this life in the same way that Paul did. And Timothy served Paul like a father. I mean, he served him, and to his own danger, really, some of the places that he went to find out information from the churches, not only were some of the churches not always happy to see him, but the places where the churches were were definitely not happy to see him. Paul spoke of Timothy as his child in the Lord. What an amazing relationship, because I think, you know, for those of us who are parents, um, you know what that bond is. Um, but for someone like Paul, who we don't have any record, at least that I know of, that he had any children or that he was even married. I don't even know. But this was a bond like a father and son. And although we know Timothy had a father, who we hear about in Scripture are his mother and his grandmother. So God knit the hearts of these two men together. And Timothy, because most of their, t- their life together, Paul was in prison, lots of their life together. Timothy was his go-to person. He went to the churches and took Paul's messages, and he brought back to Paul information from the churches so that Paul, while he's in confinement, could have com- the comfort of knowing that the, that the church was taking the gospel forward, that they, that they had the right information, and when they needed correction, that they were given correction, and then Paul would receive that. It was a unique relationship. It was a good relationship. It was, um, it was a rare relationship. Those kinds of relationships in our life, they are rare. Most relationships in our life are seasonal. God brings people in our life for a season. And, and most of the time in my life, I have uh, not understood that. And, and it's been a place of real hurt in my life when relationships kind of come and go. And, and I've, I've misunderstood that, you know, really, in this life, most relationships are seasonal. They're, it's a time that God brings you together. It's a rare thing if you have a kindred relationship like that. The second point is serve together. And we've been listening to a series from pastor called Satisfaction Guaranteed on Sunday mornings. And one of the things that I'm not sure that we all realize is that our souls are deeply satisfied in serving. I think um, we all, we tend to view serving as an obligation, something we know that needs to be done, and so we'll step up and do what needs to be done. But I don't think that we really get that we were made for serving. And if it wasn't true, God wouldn't have talked about it so many places in the Bible. It wouldn't have... It wouldn't have been something that was so highlighted, but it really is highlighted. God made us for serving. Well, if that's what he made us for, and he's made us for a life abundant, then there is joy in serving. Um, Philippians 2.19 says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And then 26 and 27, because he was longing for all for you all and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. This is Epaphroditus. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but me also, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Can you, you can 
hear how tightly woven together these men are as they serve together. These were relationships, covenant relationships, and they, they served with a purpose, and they served with a deep purpose together. So the, it was... It was a single-minded purpose of serving the people that God had put in front of them. And it was really, it was all that they did. It was, I mean, Paul, when in between t- in missionary trips, wh- when he wasn't in prison, was a tent maker. But it wasn't his purpose. That was a means of support. His purpose was service. Exodus twenty-three twenty-five. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water and will remove sickness from your midst. Did you hear that? But you will serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread, your water, your provision. He will bless it, and he will remove sickness from your midst. That comes from serving. I'm kind of into essential oils, but this is better. (laughs) This is way better. Joshua 22.5, only be careful to observe the commandment of and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and walk with him in all his ways, keep his commandments, and hold fast to him and serve him with all your soul. John twelve twenty six. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And the next one, Galatians 5.13, this really is the key verse really for this message. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That is a huge statement because you know the minute you become a child of God, you are free. And aren't you glad because keeping the law, over 600 of them, I mean, you really had, you had no freedom of thought. You really had no freedom to pursue anything. It was all about keeping those laws. And then when you blew it, it was going and finding a sacrifice. This took up all of your time. So if you're going to be a person bound up by any laws, think about it. Because the Bible tells us if you're going to keep the law, you keep the whole law not just pieces of it that you like, the whole law. But through Jesus, we were set free from the law. You are free. You are free from man's expectations, his rule over you, because Jesus then becomes your Lord and your Savior. You are free. But you are not free to serve yourself. You are not free to just become about yourself. The word says right here, it's not an opportunity to serve your flesh. You are free, but through love, serve one another. That is huge. You are set free from the law, so you have the brain space to serve others. It's it's mind-boggling because we don't understand freedom from the law and serving being in the same sentence. We are free to serve. It's a big deal. 
so while you're serving, while you're working together and serving together, don't do it alone. Just because you are a type A person who is a planner and you can have it all mapped out from beginning to end, that's not what it's about, by the way. Perfection in the process is not what he's looking for. It's who are you serving? And just because you can do all points on your own does not mean that you should. You're missing something huge by not partnering together with others. You've heard that Paul had a, had a Timothy and he had a Titus. Is that it, Kim? A Timothy and a Titus. He always had somebody he was mentoring and always somebody who he was, he was beginning to bring up. There was always somebody else he was giving into. And he was, it's like Jesus, it was like, watch me do this. Now do it with me. Now you do it while I watch. And now you go do. In everything that we do when we are serving others, it should be with other people. It should not be a single yourself. Because again, what are you doing? Are you serving your flesh because you can do it and you can do it great and you can do it awesome? Is that the reason that you would choose to do it on your own? And just because other people might slow you down, you wouldn't choose that? We've got to get out of our heads, and we've got to, we've got to really think like kingdom-minded people. And kingdom-minded people serve with others. And you train others to do the work of the Lord. Um, while I was going over the note, my notes with my husband, he pointed out uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And when, when he pointed that out and I read the verse, it was like, of course, train servants, not leaders. How many of you, how many Christian organizations do you see where it's leadership training, leadership conference, five things that leaders know that you don't know, how to be a better leader, how to lead those who will not follow? I mean, Leadership, leadership, leadership in Christian circles, it is huge. Everybody wants to be a leader. Do you know that there really cannot be that many leaders? And it's really kingdom life is not about leading, folks. So if there are people in your life and people that you're serving with and they have a leadership mentality, they'll lead. They will, you don't need to train that. They will do it. They're built that way. However, they may not be trained to serve. Oh, did I just say that out loud? They may not know how to serve. Just because someone has leadership qualities does not mean they know how to serve people. And guess which is bigger in kingdom life? Serving. Having a heart for the people that you're reaching, not just giving the message, not just being the person in front. Which brings me to my next point which is care deeply about those who serve you serve philippians 2 19 through 20 but i hope in the lord jesus to send timothy to you shortly by the way how many of you would go to a servant ship conference 
to learn how to serve people who don't want to be served and might not like you very much. How many would sign up for that training? We got to get out of our heads. All right, back to them. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Philippians 2.24, And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. And Philippians 2.26, Because he was longing for you all and distressed because you had heard he was sick. If you are called to serve short-term missions, kids at church, small groups, women's ministry. You have to care for who you're serving. It can't be about just the job of doing the job. We have to care deeply about, do you hear in these verses, do you hear what Paul's saying? I want to hear about you. And I'm sending people so that I can find out how you're doing. And these are the most important people in my life, so they're precious to me, but I am sending them in danger's way because I cannot wait any longer to hear back how you're doing. The urgency that Paul has about meeting the needs of the Philippian church, all, you can read this not just here, but any letter that Paul sends, there's an urgency, even if he's reprimanding, because most of his letters were reprimanding. But even if he's doing that, he is urgently wanting to know are you still fulfilling the gospel are you still moving forward with what you've been taught are you still serving one another are you still in unity moving together in Jesus he couldn't wait and I got a glimpse of this when I got to go to Pakistan Two months before I went to India and Pakistan, I was, I was just weepy, like, regularly. And I'm going to do it right here, but I'm not, I, well, I can't say I'm not a weepy person, can I? I'm not a regularly weepy person. I can get there, but it's not regular. I'm not just like a weepy person, but I was. And so I went to Joan Pert. She, she had her little office upstairs, and I was walking by to the restroom one day, and I sat down. She said, What's going on? I said, just pray for me. I'm like crying all the time. It's ridiculous. I, I, like I'm at my job. I'm sitting at my desk. I'm just like crying. And she, she starts praying for me. And she said, um, she said, God is already breaking your heart for what you're about to see. And this was two months. I was like, great. What am I going to see? <laughs> and I really thought, I mean, first we were going to India. And that was really the major portion of our trip. Pakistan had been added on at the end. And we were only there from Friday to Sunday. It was really fast. So it was just kind of an add-on to our trip. And so I, I thought it was India. I thought I was going to see children in desperate situations. I thought I was going to see disease and hurt. And, well, that would break my heart. That would be really, really rough. And so that's what I was anticipating. Although the entire time, it was like two and a half weeks that we were in India, I saw none of that. I saw happy kids, healthy kids, got to do children's rallies with them and train their leaders. It was phenomenal. But the minute, and here I go, and I'm sorry, I'm going to apologize now, but the minute I walked across the border of Pakistan, and it says to this day, as you can tell, it was Pakistan. And I think I saw three kids the whole time I was there. 
but it was Pakistan that God broke my heart over because, because I saw how they loved each other. I saw how they cared. For, thank you once again. I saw how they cared for once another, how careful they were with each other. I saw men who were ministry leaders who'd been in training with Haroon for 15 years he'd been training them. And on some nights when we went to speak some nights, we were there two nights, um, on the nights that we went to preach and huge groups of people would come. These are, remember, these are men who've been trained in leadership. These are pastors. And one of them, do you know what his job would be that night? His job that night would be to take care of Haroon's one-year-old baby girl. Not a 15-year-old they brought along. Not a babysitter they paid to be there to take care of Haroon's children, no. The men he trained as pastors and servants of the gospel humbly took care of a one-year-old baby girl for five hours so that Haroon and Aster could be free to minister, so Dave and I could be free to minister. And what broke my heart is we don't get it here. We've been set free in America. We are free. We are free to serve ourselves, unfortunately. And it broke my heart that we don't know how to care deeply for each other. It broke my heart that we don't get past, hi, how are you doing? It broke my heart that sometimes we say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and we don't. And man, I am preaching to the choir, girl. This is not a point the finger moment. But it broke my heart that we don't take the time to be careful with one another. We are careless, careless, careless with our words. We are careless in the way that we treat one another. We are careless society. And social media has made it so much worse. It's so much easier to be awful now. It's so much easier to rip someone to shreds because you don't have to look them in the eye. It's awful. It is horrible what we're doing to each other. And it's not the world, people. It's not the world. It's each one of us when we are not careful. When we don't think about our words before they come out of our mouths. When we make comments we think are funny and they're not. What's going on in the Middle East wakes me up in the night. I think about these people all the time. The risks that they are taking to serve God. And watching how they care for, they do it because they have to. It's survival where they are, that they know where everyone is at, every t at all times. That they plan ahead for how to be careful. They plan ahead how to keep the people safe, who to have on guard, how many guards to have. One night we went and there were machine guns around us while we preached in an open roof building. They planned ahead. We were driving in a car one night, and as we drove out to where we were going to preach, and, uh, and everything was fine as we were driving out. On the way back at night, because we'd gone through checkpoints, they put Dave and I in the middle of the van, surrounded by Pakistani people, and closed all the curtains on the van. 
so that at the checks point coming back, if someone decided, oh, I saw an American in that van, they're going to have to be coming. If they were looking out for us, they were surrounding us. They put themselves in danger for us. Would you do that? Would I do that? Would I be that careful with someone else's life? They do because they have to. We do. We don't, and we should. We're free. We are free to preach the gospel, and we're afraid someone's not going to like us for it. We're afraid that if we talk about Jesus on Facebook, someone's going to make a hateful comment. Would you back up a sister who made a serious comment about Jesus and the world was coming after her? Would you back her up? Would you back up a sister who makes a dumb comment about Jesus <laughs> on Facebook and the world's coming and Christians are coming after her? Would you back her up? Or would you join the crowd? We've got to be careful. We've got to love each other. And it's got, it goes beyond just saying the words. It, again, it's that whole loving rumigrant thing. We've got to know what that word means. And we've got to do it. It has to be, it has to be more than what we're doing. And I love that we love each other here. But girls, focus on one another. Girls, pay attention to what's going on. I think of my son-in-law, Daniel, when he lived in Chile. And when he moved to America, what a tough transition it was. And I had no idea how hard it would be. I'm thinking, the land of opportunity? Are you kidding me? This is like going to Disneyland every day. But you know what? It wasn't. We are hard, and we are too busy. In Chile, if Daniel's car broke down or if he had a problem at the house or something, he could call some friends. They'd be there in five minutes. He'd have ten people over there. They'd fix it, and they'd go on their way. Daniel had a problem here. could be three weeks before somebody could come over. Do you experience that? Do you experience the need for people in your life and you can't get anybody to pay attention to? Does that happen to you? <laughs> I tell you, it happens every day to people and we don't pay attention. We don't even know that people are hurting. The closest people around us, we don't even know that they're hurting. Because we, go, we don't go beyond the I'm okay. You know that people just say that, don't you? Go beyond the I'm okay. Some people won't let you. Don't be harsh about it, but care enough. Care enough. Love each other enough. Be careful with each other. Plan to take care of each other. Okay? Okay. Okay.